the difference between, you know, a hobby and a, and a job is like, it needs to make money. Welcome to Honesty Commerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, I'm welcoming to the show Ashley Merrill. Ashley is the CEO and founder of Lunia, a luxury sleepwear brand. She also recently has brought to the market a men's version of her brand that we're going to talk all about. Ashley, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here and and dealing with uh, the creative difficulties of this platform and me not knowing how to pronounce words and doing, (laughs) (laughs) doing it. Uh, just doing it over. Everybody, you know what? There's a second chance for everybody out there. And this is this podcast, we we have many. Uh, let people know that uh, the first thing you're hearing is usually not the first time we press record. Uh, but we're going to get it done today, right? Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right. So take me back. Take me back all the way back to you're in college. You are pregnant and you have this idea uh, to launch this brand. Where, where did this uh, journey start and happen and, and what was going on? Well, it actually started uh, before that. And, and actually, it started um, in that I had the idea. I had the, or I didn't even have the idea. I felt the gap in the market. I was wearing my husband's old clothes around the house and I kind of caught my reflection as I was crossing the mirror. And I had probably walked by this mirror a hundred times, probably wearing the same outfit a hundred times. And I looked at it and I thought, why am I wearing this? Like it's, it was like this old, I can't even remember. It was like a frat shirt and this boxer briefs, which I used to wear rolled up. And I didn't even have kids yet. Couldn't blame that on them. Uh, and, and I just thought, wow, oh, this is weird. And so I, it sent me on a journey to go, let me see if I can find something better where I can be comfortable around the house, but also have something that is maybe like more flattering and makes me feel better at the same time. And so sent me on a journey to find basically a gap in the market. And that's what I found. But it, you know, even though I kind of thought, Ooh, that's interesting. There's nothing here. I didn't act then. And, and I actually sat on it and I questioned myself for a long time. Um, and it really wasn't until I entered grad school, which is what you're referring to. Um, and then when I thought, you know, maybe I'll get into grad school. I knew I was kind of wanting to head in an entrepreneurial direction, whether or not I was the entrepreneur or not, figuring maybe I'll find somebody to partner with, or maybe someone starting something cool, I can jump onto that after grad school. And so that was kind of where my head was at. Went into grad school, my husband and I decided actually, this is a great time to start a family as if there's like ever a great time for starting family, but like that was as good as any. And so I got pregnant right away. I actually, so I, I kind of like the, the chronological time frame here. It's like I started in early September in school, found out I was pregnant in late September. And then I had this moment where I was like, you know what? If I don't start this, um, if I don't, I, I never will. I just knew I never would because I, I just, even though I'd never had kids before, you know, I, I, I knew enough to know, I don't think I'm suddenly going to have more time and freedom and possibilities than I do now. And, and I also thought, am I really not starting this because I don't think it's a good idea? Or am I not starting it because I'm afraid of failing? 
And, and all I could come to was actually, I wasn't starting because I was afraid of family. I was pretty confident in the idea. I had been, I had been mulling on this idea and beating this idea up now at this point for, for a long time. So I, I, I kind of came to this place where I was like, what's worse, not doing it and telling my kids I just never did what I wanted to or what I believed in. And then also having to be like, also, and then I got pregnant and I didn't get to do those things or taking a swing at it and, and maybe failing. And it was sort of like, once the, the equation changed for me because I realized, oh my gosh, I absolutely cannot tell my kids I didn't take a shot, you know? And, and so that's really was a big, that was a big swing for me. And it got me over my fear that I think a lot of us face when we want to start something. Absolutely. So once you just, you've made that, that choice that you're like, I, I'm going to do this. If, if I don't do it now, I, I don't think I'm ever going to do it. You make that choice. I feel like a lot of people out there listening are at that choice right now, and and you sure. know they're on the fence. And if you didn't get anything out of that, the direct statement she said just just go do it. So please, everyone, do that. But so, what is doing it? What did that look like? Um, did you stay in school? Uh, how did that all look? Yeah. Well, and I, I want to ca- caveat that with I had a lot of ideas before this idea, so it's not the you know I don't think you should feel like you should just you know I have an idea and it, I'm. If I don't do it, that means I'm, I'm being driven by a fear orientation. I, as I mentioned, I had been beating up this idea within myself for a long time. I'm my own worst critic. That's sort of my personality type. So I was in there going, I'd probably looked at, I probably had 20 ideas before I had this idea and all of them, I was able to conclude that I, there wasn't enough legs for them from a true business point of view. And I think that this one was the one I couldn't kill. And that's why when I came down to it, I realized like, actually, this was fear that was keeping me, not that it wasn't a good business idea. So I think that key in knowing when it's a good business idea and when it's not is really that that's the nuance. That's the hard part in some ways. And I think what that comes down to is kind of core business principles. And and I often cite the hedgehog principle. It's one I really like. It's from the Good to Great book. And they talk about having these three sections, having, you know, you always want three components of a business. You want a very, you need a lot of passion because it sucks a lot of the time. I'll go ahead and be the one to break the news. And you need, you're going to need an overwhelming amount of passion to overcome those days when you just like don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And then you're going to need um, a, a sustainable, differentiated sort of reason for being. Like, why can't other people just copy your idea and do what you're doing? Why is it that you and this idea are going to be able to have a sustainable differentiation? And then um, you need an economic business plan. You need a plan to make money. I think this is one of those things that like when the economy is really good, sometimes people leave that piece off. They're just like, I'll raise money. And then someday this will all work out. And it's like, Make sure you have a plan that like that shows this working out. And then kind of I say this and I, I I think that's the difference between, you know, a hobby and a and a job. It's like it needs to make money. And I think that's the thing that um, you know, there has to it doesn't have to make it from day one though. And I think for Lunia that was a bit of an evolution. Um for me, like I joke, like the first few products that people bought, it was like I was paying you to take my products because if you looked at my my cost basis, my customer acquisition, you'd be like, Ashley, this is not a business. But I knew with scale, my cost of goods would go down. And then I knew with better branding and brand awareness and all these sort of different, app, you know, sort of marketing levers I could pull that I could probably hit the right customer acquisition cost. And so that's 
really like there has to be a plan or at least a vision for where this business will make sense. Oh man, you just you just unpacked so much awesome stuff in there. First and foremost, Good to Great is an amazing book. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. And I just the other day was uh, browsing through. It wasn't by him, but it was another one I read right around that time. Yeah. Um, that was now I'm drawing a blank, obviously on it, but it was essentially about uh, what? Oh, uh, Small Giants. Did you ever read that one? No, I didn't. Mm-mm. That one is a fantastic read. And for anyone now that's like, what is Chase talking about? Is it's about uh, there's a certain type of business out there that is okay with being the best at what they do and they just stopped growing for the sake of just being great at what they do mm-hmm. and it talked all about what kind of those those businesses had in common and uh it, it I drew a lot of parallels between that one and good to great um so i'd recommend anyone listening to to check that one out as well um so you talked a lot about getting you know hitting a certain customer acquisition cost a lot about you know having a financial model so was there anything in your background that kind of helped you prepare to you know tackle the part of that hedgehog plan tackle you know it's got to be an economical viable business kind of how did you approach that and for people that didn't go to business school how should they think about it Well, I mean, one thing to remember is I didn't go to business school when I started Lumia. I was in a three-year business school. I was doing a um, fully employed program, which means uh, it lasts a long time and you go less days a week. And and so it was really, of course, I had the benefit of having this... these, these sort of people I could, I could reference as I was starting, but I had actually, you know, I was, I was starting it before a lot of that. And so, um, I think that there's a, I mean, I love that framework. I would literally put it through that good to great framework first. Um, and then what I would say, because I didn't have any background in fashion, I knew nothing about fashion. My background is in online media and I did go, I worked, I worked one year at a venture capital company out of school and then I worked in online media for, like three, four, four years I had worked at. And that was, it did give me some exposure in online brand building, which absolutely was very useful. But in the early days, we weren't online. I had to figure out how to make a product, which I had zero experience with. And I also, um, I was lucky we were able to self-invest in this business, but I didn't want to spend a lot because I was, you know, I was afraid. It's To me, it's one thing to fail. It's another to lose a lot of your money on something. And so I was, I was, like eking money into the business as I gain confidence over time, which I think a lot of people tell you that's like absolutely not the right way to fund it. I don't know that there is a right way to fund anything. I've now been around the block a lot and I've seen lots of different models. But for me, that was my path was I kind of put a little money in. I didn't trust myself. I was like, I don't know how to make clothing. Am I going to be able to figure this out? Okay, how much do I have to spend? Okay, a couple thousand dollars. I'm going to put that in. That was kind of where this started. And what I started doing was just asking tons of people, um, or to really, I'd tell them what I envisioned and then ask them if they knew anybody that I should chat with. And I think this is one of those things that um, it it feels kind of weird because it's so basic, you know? And so it was one of those things where I'd go to my friends and I'd be like, oh, I'm thinking of starting this business. I feel like there's this gap in the market. Do you know anybody in the industry? And sometimes people would connect me to someone. I'd be like, I'd, I'd get off the phone and be like, that person doesn't know anything that I need, you know, in the areas I need to know, you know? And I'd be like, great. But sometimes that meeting would lead me to another meeting. And sometimes it would be like a few stepping stones down from those people. So I always said yes. I took the calls and I would try to connect until I could get to somebody that maybe could help me with where I was at in that particular moment in time. And 
That was the process with which I found consultants who could help guide me. So a lot of my early day, I didn't invest in, I didn't like raise a ton of money and then hire my dream team. I hired consultants a little bit at a time as I, as I needed them and, and gained my knowledge base. I mean, a lot of this was me building my education. And there's a lot of ways to approach building a business. And I think I picked this very sort of grassrootsy approach where I was very hands-on and did a lot of things. I think if you had a different kind of um, business where maybe it was a speed to market business, you could be, it could be different than this in that I could see uh, you might want to hire experts, raise some money, hire some experts. Don't put yourself in the CEO seat and just build the business that it needs to be. But it was a smaller business. It wasn't a competitive space at the time. And um, and this is where I was at. And so I learned. It took me forever. I uh, had 10 pieces in the first collection. And it took me two years to get those 10 pieces done and build a basic website. And my first employee was somebody who also had no experience building businesses or running or working at any of these kind of businesses. She was a she'd run a store at Lululemon. And so she and I were she was awesome. But she and I were figuring it all out together. And she, we were just we were motivated. And I think that's where you know, they, that one of those items in the hedgehog principle, the, the passion piece is something you really, you need it, you're going to draw from it all the time, because it's a constant set of either, you know, running into walls is sort of one metaphor I've used. It's like, constantly like, I don't know how to do that, or someone's telling me no, or I'm going to have to figure out how to, you know, get to push through it. And then it's the another like the another, um, what is this, the, the two steps forward, one step back expression felt right too. It's like, I'd be like, Oh, I'm making it, I'm getting hit progress. And then I'd be like, Oh, no, you know, that point employee quit or this, this, you know, the pattern was ruined or the manufacturer went out of business. It was like a constant like series of those kinds of events. And so you just need, it was a lot of just pushing through. Yeah. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what type of business you're building. Like it's, it's a constant, uh, as much as you try and as much systems and processes you put in place, you're always going to get distracted by some sort of fire. And I guarantee like there are businesses in your life as an entrepreneur, not you actually, but I'm, I'm now kind of speaking to the yeah. listener, like that you think they have it all together. And I guarantee that they're just winging it as well at times. And that's, that's the beauty of business is it, it does give you, it allows you to kind of just run it how you want. And that's how you, how you built yours, you're like, I'm going to bootstrap this thing. I'm I'm not going to take on outside investment. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. I agree with you at that point. But there are many ways to grow a business. And that's yeah. why I was excited to have you on here to talk about... I didn't take money. I I fumbled through it, not to put words in your mouth, yeah. until until something happened. Oh, that's true. I mean, I always say it. Like, it's like I, uh, I fell down, hit every branch on the way. I feel like every learning lesson... But I will tell you, I'm really grateful for that now because I know a lot about production and garment manufacturing and product development more than most CEOs I know that are in the fashion business because I had to go do it. I was driving my car down to the manufacturers and there was nobody else to speak the language. I had to learn every stitch name. I had to learn all of these things because I didn't have anybody else. And so sometimes these things that feel horrible in the moment are the blessing in disguise. And I think they, I mean, obviously... Now I've got production folks that are far more knowledgeable about, about all these things than I am, but it at least allows me that I, I know enough to speak the language with them and I wouldn't have otherwise. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes things work out. That's something that I, I kind of tell a lot of young entrepreneurs, especially when they're trying to like, 
shortcut it with marketing is like go high, try to find some some all star freelancer that's just going to change your business overnight. And it's like, well, if you don't even know how to talk the language, like it's going to be impossible to find someone that's actually giving you real results. So I often say, like, educate yourself at the beginning and yeah. learn to at least speak the language. You don't need to be an expert in the craft. But do you find that helps you with uh, with hiring and vetting, you know, partners, contractors, agencies, or whatnot? I, I think you nailed it. I think one of the things that is also very hard about taking a, the that take a lot of funding approach if you don't have a lot of experience. And I think it'd be different if I came from fashion and I knew the industry and I was like, here's the niche I'm going after, going to raise a bunch of money. I know how I know what good looks like. I think the challenge was I didn't know what good looks like. I wouldn't have been able to hire. I didn't even know what a merchant was. You know, there's a lot of roles. I, I had no idea what these were, these words were that I, I was encountering for the first time. Technical designer. Is that different than a regular designer? What's the deal here? You know, and, and the number of those, uh, the, those nuances that exist was, was many. And so I think that, um, if you're an outsider, you do, you do need to learn a, a, a certain amount. For me, uh, I thought that was really important because in order to know what good looks like later, you need to have some, uh, experience in that. And I, I hired a lot of the wrong people first and good people, but maybe not what I needed at that stage of time. And as much it was, agonizing. I mean, the people piece of this whole thing has absolutely been the hardest part of it. It's the best part of it at times too, but it is the hardest part of it because um, like I said earlier, it's early on. It's like, what does good look like? I hired many people that I had no idea what I was. Someone tells me you need a head of production. I hired this person. I have no idea what a good head of production looks like. And you know, made so many mistakes, but I also just, I learned so much. It was like, it was my real MBA. You know, people often mm -hmm. ask me if I had to choose between starting a business and getting an MBA, what I would choose. And I would choose getting an, uh, starting a business every single time. Because if you compare where I learned the most, definitely starting a business, depending on what your, your issue is, I think the MBA helps with confidence and, um, and the, uh, vocabulary. So that you feel like you aren't going to get in a room with people and they're going to start talking about equity structures and you're going to have no idea what they're talking about or, you know, P&L and they're going to throw this at you and it's going to feel confusing. I really liked MBA for that. But for true, like, operational expertise, there's nothing like the trial and error process of being in business, you know? Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's you'll see people tweet like just basically what you just said, the paraphrase of like, if you want to learn how to run a business, go give a startup your all for a year yeah. and you're going to, that's going to be the best MBA that's right. program that you've, you're ever going to experience. True. Um, and then with, with hiring, it's the hardest thing yeah. possible in the world. And like, we just had, you know, we just went through this recently with hiring some people and it's always, uh, it's usually as your fault as the founder uh, or the person in charge of hiring if, if you didn't set <laughs> yeah. proper expectations. Like you, it's your fault that it didn't work out. Right. Uh, so we actually changed up how we were doing it recently. So I was just going to shout out that book. Uh, so there's this book called Who the A Method for Hiring. And my business partner has been just crushing it with this. And we used it to uh, hire our, our newest team member. And it was, it was a fantastic thing. I'm just all about, you know, cheating my way to having a process through reading a book. Someone's already done this before. I'm not reinventing the wheel. Yeah, that's really great. 
If you're struggling with scaling your sales, maybe Electric Eye can help. Our team has helped our clients generate millions of dollars in additional revenue through our unique brand scaling framework. You can learn more about our agency at electriceye.io. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Y-E dot I-O. Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. Avalara's solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow over time. Tax compliance is not a revenue-generating activity, so Avalara's technology is designed to help you manage tax compliance as efficiently and accurately as possible, so you can reclaim your valuable time and reduce risk in your business. With more than 1,000 signed partner integrations, Avalara likely integrates with the ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point-of-sale systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalara.com slash honest. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Avalara, tax compliance done right. Hey everybody, do you want to win back valuable lost time for your support team? Gorgeous has machine learning functionality that takes the pressure off small support teams and gives them the tools to manage a large number of inquiries at scale, especially during the holiday season. Gorgeous combines all your different communication channels like email, SMS, social media, live chat, and even phone into one platform and gives you an organized view of all of your customer inquiries. Their powerful functionality can save your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. They have allowed online merchants to close tickets faster than ever with the help of pre-written responses integrated with customer data to increase the overall efficiency of customer support. Their built-in automations also free up time for support agents to give better answers to complex product-related questions, providing next-level support, which helps increase sales, brand loyalty, and recognition. Eric Brandholtz, the founder of Beard Brand, says, We're a seven-figure business, and we have essentially one person on customer support and experience. It's impossible to do it without tools like Gorgeous to help us innovate. Learn how to level up your customer support by speaking to their team here. Visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot G-R-S-M dot I-O slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Our partner Rewind can protect your Shopify store with automated backups of your most important data. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 80,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Gymshark, Gatorade, and Movement Watches. Best of all, merchants like you can get one month of automated Shopify backups for free by visiting rewind.io slash honest. That's R-E-W-I-N-D dot I-O slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Businesses are the most successful when they own their own data, customer relationships, and their growth. That's why more than 50,000 e-commerce brands, big and small, trust Klaviyo to deliver their ideal customer experience. Klaviyo is the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for online brands of all kinds and all sizes. With email automation, SMS marketing, list growth tools, and more, you'll get everything you need to build strong relationships that keep your customers coming back. If you're tired of relying too heavily on paid advertising or third-party marketplaces for your sales success, you're not alone. It's time to take back control of the customer experience. 
More and more online businesses are moving to Klaviyo to grow higher value customer relationships through personalized email and SMS marketing. And the results are staggering. Ready to drive future sales and higher customer lifetime value with a marketing platform built for your long-term growth? You should get a free trial of Klaviyo over at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Let's jump back into building building the brand, and uh, I don't want to call it an iteration at all. But I'm excited about how you grew the business with with kind of launching the second brand. Um, so let's talk about that first. You know, it you said it took you almost two years to get the ten products onto a website. What was the launch strategy like? How did marketing look? What was the first day like? You know, how are those first couple of months of okay, we we have a website, you can buy stuff. I have kind of a funny story with this. I actually. So this employee that I had, it was just she and I, and um, neither of us had done this before. We had a site that was up in beta because we were really trying to make sure that we could hone in a customer experience before we did some kind of a big launch. So I had a website that you could only get in if you entered a password. And um, we were sending it to friends and family because we wanted to proof out the the fulfillment process. And when you're small, or at least when I was small, there was no 3PL or fulfillment center that was helping me. We were fulfilling out of the house, you know? And so this was all how this was just us working out that process of, you know, all the details for shipping. So I went to, and this was back when Facebook was like the primary, I mean, now I'm all on, I'm on Instagram or whatever we're on now, but I, I haven't used Facebook in a while, but I used to use Facebook, you know, and you put updates on it and share all these things on it and all our friends were on it. And so I put uh, a posting up when I was in the hospital delivering my daughter, which is my second child, saying, you know, just thanking Jasmine was my first employee being like, Jasmine, you're so amazing. Thank you so much. I would not be able to do this without you. I, so basically, I'd been starting this business while in business school. I had had two babies during the time of this pre-launch. And I was about to deliver my second. I was just feeling appreciative of like what she had, how she'd been able to support me. So I posted it and I tagged in the Lunia website. I like mentioned it and it hyperlinked it or something like this. And then people started, I'm literally, by the way, I'm, I'm in the hospital like delivering the baby. So this is like, but it, but I was in early stage of contraction. So it was kind of chill. And I was just like hanging out on the computer. Um, and so uh, I put it up there and people started resharing it because they thought I was telling everybody, like I didn't word it super clearly. They thought I was saying that I was launching the business. And so my friends were all like, yeah, like finally, cause they all knew I'd been working on it. And so they were like resharing it. Congrats. Like, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean, I'm not telling you it's launched. Like, you know, I, in my head, I was like, shoot, you know, and I have the beta blocker, like no one can get in. So now they're all sharing the link, but no one can actually access the website. So I texted Jasmine. I was like, I, I think I messed it up. I, I put it up. I just meant, I didn't mean to like launch it, but I think that, that we're getting momentum that it's viral. Like we have to go with it, you know? So we took the beta, um, password protection off the site. And that was how the company launched. So that was not the most well executed marketing plan. And I, I sort of say that to go, you know, things can start, I made a lot of wrong turns to get to some right ones. And so this was a perfect example of it. Um, and so what happens? Um, nothing happens, basically, maybe your mom will buy your outfit, 
like maybe maybe your sister-in-law like it was like it was like very little was happening and that's because um you know we didn't have a marketing strategy i was so cautious i was so and i i look back on this now and have a sort of different perspective but i was so afraid of failing that i didn't exactly set myself up for success you know i didn't invest a lot in marketing or do any of those things and and so i had a slower start than i think you know maybe i could have or or you might be able to have but it was slow and and then what really was a game changer for us and i was sort of on the earlier days of um dtc so by the time or like not just direct to consumer but online direct to consumer um we figured out online marketing and and that was really the breakthrough and the moment i knew and i started gaining confidence in the company was when i realized that i could make um i could acquire a customer at a profitable rate which sounds kind of like very unsexy but it meant i could scale the business because i'm like if i can if i can buy a user and then cover my cost of goods and my cost to acquire the user and have like anything left over done i can scale that business that's a business that can someday pay for itself and make sense and so when i reached that point my confidence level shifted and my willingness to sort of invest more into the business it was it was kind of like i was you know like i was feeding the monster as it was growing you know more than it was like okay here's my big investment where i'm really confident and i think that was a big inflection moment oh yeah absolutely once once the math starts to make sense it is such a an amazing experience from like a, a founder's perspective because that's all your hard work paying off because totally. it's now it's you've essentially invented an atm for yourself yeah if you, it, which is really cool totally. um so what was kind of how did what what was the strategies getting to that point you you glossed over it a little bit and i kind of just want to drill down just a little bit there you you said you figured out online marketing what does mm -hmm. that mean you know what i mean what worked what worked for you obviously it might be different now where it's 2021 facebook ads are super expensive yeah you know now there's TikTok. there's all sorts of cool stuff going on in the world yeah but, i mean what worked for you i guess is what people are going to want to know yeah and, and i think that's a really um i think what you said is right which is you know, what worked for me won't work now. You know, I was early on in that online DTC model. Um, Facebook ads were easier to, you know, that was an easier business to make sense of. It was the wild west. Yeah, I gained, I had good creative. I think creative really matters. And we iterated on creative a lot till we could land on a, a creative strategy that made sense. Um, and I think that was key. And we did a lot of that growth while it was profitable to do that. And then I, I think, you know, as an example, that would have been a great time, or I don't know if I hindsight, but we didn't go strong into influencer, um, which could have been another strategy. And we didn't go into it because our cost of goods were really high. And at that point, you know, even today, there's not necessarily a one to one on influencer gifting. You know, you give something to someone, maybe there's a 30% chance they wear it. And then of that, do they have an audience that's buying? And then, you know, they, they need to buy a certain amount to cover the cost of gifting, the cost of goods, the cost to acquire, all these things. And so it was not my most efficient, uh, return on investment for marketing. And so I didn't go big into it. I think in hindsight, again, if I'd had maybe more confidence from an investment standpoint, that would have been awesome if I had gone big into that at that point, because I would have a big, uh, you know, I would have a, a probably a much bigger social presence. Right now, I think we have a much bigger company than even our social presence. And some of that is because of where we focused early days. And some of that I think is specific to our business because, you know, it's, it's, 
harder to get somebody to share themselves in their bedroom wearing their sleepwear than it might be to get someone to wear their cocktail dress when they're going out and they're all dolled up. They're more inclined to share that moment. And so some of this, I think, is important when you're thinking about it from your business and what your marketing strategy is, is you don't look around and go, oh, everyone's doing this. I should do this, too. I think you should consider it if everyone's doing it and seeing success with it. But you have to put it through the lens of your product and your customer and really think about, does this actually make sense for for my product? And for me, early day Instagram, people were not sharing themselves in their bedrooms yet. Now they're doing it in a much bigger way. But like that wasn't really the culture at the time. And and the cost of my products really high because we spend a ton on fabric and really high quality manufacturing. And with all of that, I couldn't just give them away for free and just hope that that would convert. And so, you know, I had to choose a model that made sense in sort of a capital constrained early business kind of way. Where am I most efficient uh, allocation of dollars and highest return? And so I think everybody's business can be a little different, but I think that was an example of me having to kind of interpret that for the business that I had. Absolutely, and I think I think it definitely worked out for you uh, in in the long run. Uh, you guys are doing fantastic now. And then um, I, I kind of briefly mentioned this a while back, but I kind of want to you know bring it up now, which is you grew the business in a way that I don't see a lot of other businesses doing. Uh, which was really creative. You essentially cloned the business. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to tell your story for you, but can we talk about where that came from and and why the choice was to kind of take it that route for Lago? You're saying yes, yes. Um, so what happened was I started with women's. It's the I am a woman. It was the audience I knew the best. I could relate very easily to what products would make sense and what the gap was in the market. I also feel. Um, when I pictured what's the long-term potential of, of this company, I always thought about the fact that, you know, for my family and a lot of families, I think that women is still the household buyer. And so I thought, you know, if I can acquire a female customer first, maybe that'll make it if I do launch a men's brand at some point, uh, maybe that customer will actually help me bring in the, the men's, the, the male customer. And so I, you know, like I said, launched with women's. And then what started to happen was men started to come into the store and be like, well, what about us? And it was cool because the demand was there and people were asking for it. And so I thought, okay, all right, men's, no problem. We're, we're going to do this. And, and that was so cool because um, it, it created a whole new opportunity. And so what I did was I did a test. I'm, I'm more from the tech world. I like a small test and learn. This is the minimum viable product. I'm all about it. So I launched a capsule collection for men's and holiday and actually launched kids too. I wanted to test both. Kids was not an appealing audience for us. Our price point, one thing that I think people don't think about, but I didn't really think about either until I launched kids, but the price of a garment is based on a couple things. Really, it's based on the materials. So the cost of the raw materials. It's based on the labor. Um, how many stitches and turns and cuts and things do they have to make? And then logistics on the, on the shipping it over to us and taxes and things like that. So what's funny about a kid's garment though is the fabric might be less but the actual labor is kind of similar. So it's it's actually like they have to put it on the machine. You know, if, it's not like adding an extra, what is it? You know, four inches of stitching takes the extra time. It's that you had to put it on the, you know, on the sewing machine. You have to like line up the needles. You have to do all the things. So it's almost the same from a, from a cost of labor standpoint on a kid's garment. 
But I mean, I'm a parent. My willingness to pay is lower because my kids aren't going to wear it as long as I as I'm going to. And so I or, really or it's not going to be safe as long with your kids wearing it. Oh, exactly. I mean, and they're going to grow it in ten minutes. And so I realized that there was a challenge there because I had to charge a lot for it because my costs were still really high. It was still really high quality fabrics and the the labor, which is the most expensive part, was still about the same. But then it was it was eroding any profit potential profit margin because there just really wasn't that wasn't in there. And so kids was was really tricky and. But men's the, people loved it. The guys loved it. The women loved buying it for the guys. So it was working on both customer audiences. Got really excited. I feel like there's a lot of potential there. And then I also thought that, you know, it was a really great way to be in the right place at the right time in the sense that everyone's always speaking to women, but the male audience, especially men in this sort of this, uh, starting to explore wellness and comfort and that they're being included in this conversation for the first time. It was a great one that we got to participate in. And so we launched Logo because we didn't want to create, oh, we're Lunia, we're a women's brand that sells men, um, sells to men. We're like, we're actually, we're going to create a completely different uh, experience for men. Men, I mean, even on our website, we approach product descriptions differently and then like receive information differently than women do. Um, the, the whole, we have a separate social media handle. We wanted to be able to, to really make it a male experience. And we wanted to bring in like male people on the brand team and, and male designers. And because I think a lot of our advantage, um, strategically has always been that we were designing for ourselves. Like, you know, a lot of women that work for Lumia, we fit into our core target demo. And so we actually could intimately understand what a woman wants. I'm like, I don't want a center scene where I'm not wearing underwear to go to sleep. Like very literal, very graphic, but it's like, yeah, but that's what makes a piece that you're going to keep reaching for because you're like, for whatever reason, when I wear those pants versus this one, this one feels better every time. And you're like, right, because we're like really diving into the female body and the female use case and how she's, you know, how she wants to show up. Like there's a whole deep component about how we create product. And we wanted to approach men from the the same kind of uh, level. We wanted to have that same thoughtfulness about how men want to, I mean, a silly example, but um, a man's body, you know, they have, um, uh, they tend to want to wear pants lower in the front than in the back, but for whatever reason, pants have always been designed like you're going to wear it straight across, but that's rarely how men wear them, especially their comfy pants. So it's like this, um, you know, and it kind of, I noticed it where it's like, if you're fit and you have like the sort of deep grooves on the sort of sides of you, um, you want to wear it kind of in the grooves, or if you like maybe have like more of a stomach, you'll wear it sort of below your stomach. And so it's this interesting thing where we're like, why are we designing pants for how we think men should wear? Why don't we design pants for how men actually wear their pants? So there's just like these kind of little details which create really differentiated fit. That's awesome. And it's cool that you were diving in so deep with producing the products for your new market. But I guess my question is, how much easier was it to get going with kind of this the second business from what you had already in place with the first this reminds me of when people i'll ask i'll ask people i have kids i'll be like when they get older does it get easier because it was like really hard at the beginning um and they're like it just gets different and that's how i would feel i feel about this is it wasn't easier across the board it's still not it's a smaller brand than lunia um 
I think that it's easier in some respects. Like I know how to, I've got people on my team that know, you know, know how to run a website, they know how to make the product. I have all of those things. So in all of those areas of normal friction in a new business, I'm good to go. But it's really hard to do resource allocation within the company. Does everybody spend their time on Lunia, which is the, the bigger business? Or how do you, how do you decide that someone should spend time on Lago, even though from an ROI perspective in today's business, situation, everyone should actually be working on Lumia. And you're like, you have to make these forward thinking investments to make something work, which is hard when there's a competition for resources going on within your business. So I'd say, I mean, it's, it's easier. I certainly, especially for me personally, because I was having to literally run into all those walls with Lumia by myself the first time. And now I've got a whole team of people that are smarter than me in most ways. And so now I can tap all of those people for Lago. So unquestionably, that piece is that piece much easier. But it's just, it's, it's different. That was, uh, you know what, that was not the answer I was expecting. But I, I really appreciate the honesty. Uh, and it, in, it's things that I, I hadn't thought about. And I hope that now other people out there uh, thinking about it, they understand the whole picture. Yeah. Uh, you know, just because you've done something before doesn't mean you can do it again, I guess, is maybe what I, I pulled out of that. But also like, you know, some of the some of the similarities are a bit easier, but it, it, it still is a different business and, yeah. and there's going to be different fires to put out, you know, to bring that back. Um, now, is there anything I forgot to ask you today that you think would be worthwhile to share with the audience? No, oh, I feel like that was, that was great. Yeah. Now, I had a, I had a blast. Uh, you really dove in deep with the nerdier side of the e-commerce yeah. experience from a founder's perspective, which I love. Um, often, you know, our founders are all, all shapes and sizes kind of with where their knowledge is at and where their perspective is. And, uh, it feels like, uh, you're all about the numbers a bit more than, uh, than, uh, more, more than some that I've, I've spoken with. So yeah. it's always refreshing to kind of hear that perspective. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's the right left brain balance. And I feel like, cause I know we're speaking to a lot of people who want to start businesses. I think that's the piece that, you know, you have to have the creative, you have to have brand resonance, you have to be customer oriented. Those are actually like non-negotiables. I don't even talk about them because I'm like, we shouldn't even be talking if you don't have those things. That's the foundational element. But, you know, I know a lot of people that I think where they lose is, it, you know, and if you're talking to an entrepreneur, it's like, you got to keep an eye on the business aspect of it because you can have a great brand. I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of brands and some of them that have all the other components, but they're just upside down on the finances. And I think you you can't hope that things are going to work out. You've got to build it to succeed, you know? Yeah, that's uh, that is something that I've been trying to definitely get across a lot lately to people is yeah. you can't hope things are going to change. You have to get out there and be a positive force in your own life to yeah. make them actually change. So if, you're, if your product's not selling, go out there and sell it. Yeah. Go figure out how to sell it. That's like that's, that's what needs to happen. You're, you're not going to go viral doing nothing. No, that, exactly. That'll never happen. And by the way, like Beyonce wore Lumia to New Year's Eve. Like that, you'd think like I should just be done and like retire now because that's as big a fish as you're ever going to get. It doesn't affect anything. Like, so I say that because I think some people think, if oh, I can just get a celebrity wear, it's going to change anything. I didn't, there was no change in my sales from that. I think it's awesome. Believe me, like that was a big moment for us, but you know, it's not, um, I don't, I think that we hear the anomaly stories where someone has like a breakout viral video and those, I would say that that is the anomaly. That is not going to be, you shouldn't plan on that being your business's scenario. I think you should assume 
you know, elsewhere, shoot for it. Sure. That's great. But I think, you know, assuming a more sort of slower growth or a viral growth, I mean, our, my business has been growing fast. We've doubled every single year, except earlier when it was faster because it was smaller, but we're growing really fast, but it's, you know, it's, it was, there was never like that kind of, Oh, this person wore it and it just changed everything. There wasn't like this kind of lucky break thing that happened, which some people have had. And, and I think certainly I would have loved it, but I think you should, if you don't plan on it and then it happens, great. But I feel like, you know, to plan on it feels risky. I couldn't agree more. Uh, thank you so much. Ashley. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and hopefully I can have you on in a couple months and we can, we can run down another path and, and kind of explore it some more. Um, thank you so much. If people are curious to check out the brands, where should they go? They should go to um, Lunya, L-U-N-Y-A dot co um, or Lago, L-A-H-G-O dot co. Um, they're both on Instagram. And if you want to follow me, I'm Ashley double underscore Merrill on Instagram. I'm happy to have you follow along the journey. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great one. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.